0: ...call out to Him in desperation as well. There was a time in my faith life where I thought that that would, oh, well that's calling out to God in desperation, is, is beneath a true follower. That There's nothing the, that is beneath the follower of Jesus. In our humanity, we are uh, called to bring everything to the Lord. So, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 14 today, and we're going to be continuing this book of Exodus. And, and, and one of the things that we're going to be talking about today mostly... We're going to be doing two things. We're going to be talking about uh, the Red Sea, and we're going to be talking about remembering. And 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 you may have already picked this up, but this is something that's been really sticking in my mind a lot lately. And it's our one of the great failures of the people of God, and it's been so throughout history as long as God has been working on His people. We are uh, the the one of the problems that we've had is that we are forgetful, and that. God does amazing things in and through us and for us. And then the next time that we face hardship or conflict or, or difficulty, uh, we forget that God has worked in our favor before him. And, and I know most of you, and I've sat down with most of you, and, and, and most of you uh, all have stories of times when God has done amazing things in your life. Where, where someone has showed up in a place where you needed them to be, were, where things have worked together beyond your understanding, where, where someone has given you love when you didn't deserve it, where someone has given you grace where you didn't know you needed it, where someone has provided for you physically or financially or just shown up. Every one of you in this room, I believe, has a story like that. And those are important and powerful stories. But I know us, and I'm the same way. I have one of those stories as well. Yet when I face the next difficulty, the next thing in my path that God is using to mature me, I don't go to, well, this is going to be fine. God has showed up in the past. Everything's going to be all right. I might get there eventually. But my first thought is like, oh, no, this is awful. Why is this happening to me? I am going to be destroyed. And I think... It's interesting to, to look at the, the story of the people of Israel, specifically in conjunction with the Red Sea, and ask, how did this story work in their lives? Because we would like to believe of ourselves that if we saw the ocean open up and let a whole bunch of people walk through on dry ground, and then when the armies of our enemies came through and closed back up on them and drowned them all, we would like to think that if we saw that, then we'd be good. That if we saw that, then we would be confirmed in everything, and we would never, ever doubt God again. And yet, what history tells us, and what our own lives tell us, is that's just simply not true. So, what do we do with the Red Sea, and what do we do with remembering in order to, to have that work in our lives and, and, and look at this story of God doing an amazing thing and then focus on the task that we have of remembering the amazing things that God is continuously doing in order that we can use that as we face the next thing that we've been put up against. So, Exodus chapter 14. So last week we ended here that Moses said to the people who are terrified, and he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see deliverance. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians you see will never be seen again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still, which is the hardest thing to do when you're terrified, right? Every instinct that we have as a human being tells us to fight or tells us to flee and run. But yet so often what God tells us to do in the midst of hardship is to stand, be still. We are working against our own instincts. So the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. I love that uh, God seems mildly annoyed at this point. Like, I... I don't have to explain this any further. Get out into the water. Um, Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Now, I need to clarify one thing right off the top that might be going through some people's heads. Um, Some of you might have heard that the actual translation of Red Sea in the Bible doesn't actually mean Red Sea. It means Reed Sea and that it was called that because the sea itself was full of reeds. Now, I don't, what is true is that in the Hebrew Bible, the Red Sea is the Yom Suf, which means Sea of Reeds, so that part is true. Um, we don't have evidence that the entire Red Sea was filled so full of reeds that all of the Israelites would have walked over on, in an inch of water, as I heard someone tell me as a child okay so that is true we can live with that but also uh, so I remember this I, I don't know if I was there for this story or, for the, or if somebody just, just told me this story but there was this, this very knowledgeable quote unquote pastor with much credentials uh, who said well the Red Sea was just a the sea of reeds so the Israelites just walked through in, in this reedy marshy water and, uh, and I don't know if I was there for this but, uh, but I remember my uncle Harold saying what a miracle that all those Egyptians drowned in an inch of water. Um, was I there for that, or was that just after? Anyway, so this is what God's about to do. I will, so God continues, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then an angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. So, this is an interesting moment. I want us to imagine this in our minds. This is a very cinematic. You can understand why they made this into movies multiple times. The, the imagery is, 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 is amazing, and I, I want us to start to picture this in our minds, what God is doing in and amongst his people. And then the angel of God went, went behind them, the pillar of cloud also moved in. Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And again, I want us to imagine this scene. Try and take it into your own imagination beyond just the movies that you've seen. But we can't avoid the movies that we've seen. Where, like, I've seen, I think one of the animated ones had, like, a whale swimming through the wall of water. That was pretty cool. You know, like, but we can imagine this. This would have been an amazing experience a wall of water on your right and on your left and they're walking through on dry ground. They have this amazing experience as Moses pu- pu- raises a staff over the water that it, it divides and, and splits up and they find themselves walking through in this way, a way where there was no way. The Egyptians Then the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses, and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down for the pillar of fire and cloud of the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Israelites said, sorry, and the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them and against Egypt. You wonder. Like in our time, if this happened in our time, and there was this great a military defeat, there would be some sort of public inquiry. And, and I'm just imagining the testimony where somebody is like, so who gave the order to go in between the walls of water? Because in retrospect, not necessarily the wisest of ideas, right? If, if, if you see your enemies going through with a wall of water on either side, that might be a time when you want to t- step back and be like, something seems to be going on here. It's beyond our understanding. So then the Lord said to Moses, stretch your hand out over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea and the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. So we see this amazing, amazing moment. But the Israelites went through on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and the left. And on that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses his servant. And this is interesting because this reminds us again that this was the intent of the story. What God was trying to do with the Red Sea was not a military strategy. God wasn't like, well, this is going to be the most convenient way to destroy this army. I'll lure them into the ocean and then I'll drown them all. God was doing this as a, as a theatrical moment. He was doing this as a piece of theater and propaganda to remind people who, the God, which God was stronger, which God they ought to believe. This reminded the, the people of Egypt, and it also reminded the Israelites. And what's interesting about this as a propaganda strategy is that this is only valuable as we remember it. It's only valuable as it, in, as it emboldens us, reminds us, reminds the people of Israel of the strength that God has given them in the past and how that can work in the present. And the reality is we still use things like this today, this idea of, of memory and successes in the past being important for today. When I, when I was a social worker, one of the things that we always used was, was called strengths strengths-based training. Or if you're trying to get somebody to accomplish something today that was difficult for them, say, you need, so, so in my world with one of my clients, it'd be like, you need to have clean uh, marijuana tests for the next six months, you know? So you would ask the person, well, have you ever been off marijuana for six months before? And they would say, well, and they might say, well, yes, well, okay, so tell me about how that happened. And they will be like, well, I didn't have any money, or I was living way, I was living way in the woods by myself, or I was with a girl who didn't want me to do it. So they would tell some sort of story of how they did that in the past. And what we would try and do then is replicate the circumstances that enabled them to do that in the past that a, the, in order that they could accomplish the same thing that they had done in the past in the present. This might be happen if they, had, if, if we we're trying to get them to stop marijuana, that maybe they had stopped smoking cigarettes in the past. Well, what helped you stop smoking cigarettes? What helped you get out of that situation? We would adapt that to their current situation. What we would all we're always trying to do is to say, what have you been good at in the past, so that we can incorporate that into the present. Where have you been? successful and how can we incorporate that in and in some ways this is what God is trying to instill in his people where he said if you have a problem in the present remember what got you through in the past and replicate that again. Don't feel like you're going to be overcome by this thing that comes against you. Don't feel like you're going to be overcome by the Amalekite army. Don't be dismayed by the Amalekite army. Remember when the Egyptian army, the more powerful Egyptian army was taken care of not too long ago? So maybe, just maybe, what got you through then will get you through now. It's this reminder of strength-based training. And we see how this works very quickly when uh, the people of Israel face their next conflict, because their next conflict was the Amalekites. This is two chapters later. So, this is a group of people that have never been a nation in 400 years. They haven't had to be an army in 400 years. And now, all of a sudden, they are a, a nation and a people, nomadic, traveling through the wilderness, and they are confronted by another opposing party who says, we do not want you here. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of the men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So what happened last time? Well, last time we trusted God, and I lifted up my arms with my staff, and something happened. So why don't we do that again? So they did that again. So Joshua fought the Amalekites, and was Moses' order. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lo- lowered his hands, the Amalekites were living. Oh, sorry, we're winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they took stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on each side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the Lord. We can already start to, uh, uh, with the sword, sorry. We can already start to see what's breaking down here. Because they're like, okay, so the last time when the, the ocean opened up and, and swallowed everybody, that was because Moses raised his arms. So if Moses raised his arms, then that's what we're going to do. And then when Moses raised his arm, Joshua had the victory with the sword. Right? You can start to see where they're starting to remember, but their memory is already being corrupted. And we're just two chapters later, right? Because what what had been attributed to the Lord, that God said... You wave your staff, but I'm going to drive with the wind from the east, the the, the ocean of whites that you can walk through on dry ground, and then I'm going to close the sea up again to drown all of the Egyptian army. That is very quickly translated into like, Moses' arms have a cool thing that happens when they go up and we seem to win. We're forgetful people. And not only are we forgetful where we forget the entire thing, our memories of what actually happened become quickly corrupted. And we see this happen with the people of Israel. So what is the challenge for us? What is the challenge for us if we're going to be people who remember? Well, the first thing that we need to do, if we're going to be people who remember the way that God has worked in the past and remember that correctly, is that we need to tell the story. We need to tell it over and over and over again. And we see this very quickly in uh, Exodus chapter 15. Right after the, the 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 incident at the Red Sea, we see this, that Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted Both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. Our poets and songwriters have an incredibly important task. Their job is to make us remember the things that God has done. Don't ever sleep on how important that task of artistry is. The importance of art is to remind us of all of the ways that God has worked in the past. And we see this very quickly, immediately after, somebody is sitting down writing a song about this incident that has passed. And we see that they tell this story over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. That this story is in at least five or six psalms, depending on who you ask. This story is then repeated again in Hebrews chapter 11. It's talked about through the book of Acts. That the people of Israel continue to go back to this story as a touchstone. Remember how God worked in the past. Remember how God worked in the past. And if you have a story of how God has worked in your life, if you have a story of how God has showed up for you in ways that you did not expect, you need to tell that story. You need to tell it again, and again, and again. You need to tell it to your children. You need to tell it to your grandchildren. You need to tell it to your cousins. You need to tell it to anyone who will listen and wants to hear that story. That story is valuable, and it means something. You need to tell it over, and over, and over again. And you need to tell it not just for the people who hear it, but for you, because you need to hear yourself telling the story over, and over, and over again. Tell it until you're bored of it. Tell it after you're bored of it. Tell it when it becomes interesting to you again. Figure out new ways to do it. We shrink back from telling our own stories. And I have been guilty of this specifically in the last number of years. We've shrunken back from telling stories about good things that God has done for us. Because we're embarrassed sometimes. And we feel like the good things that God has given us... Overshadow and make other people feel small. That is not the way that the true stories of what God is doing work. If God has genuinely worked in your life, I don't feel smaller because you have had a blessing. I feel greater because the God that I worship has given you a blessing as well. We need to be brave enough to share these stories together. And if there are people who are encouraging us or making us have our stories be smaller, they need to be gotten rid of. Because our it is too important it is too important in this world where people are distracted by things that don't matter and dismayed by things that are irrelevant, that we—it it is too important for us to not tell the stories of how God is working in our lives now. We need to make sure that we do this. If we are going to be people who remember in a way that matters, we need to tell the story of how God has worked in us. again. And again and again and then this is the much more powerful and much more difficult thing we need to live in light of that story ourselves so this is how it works if I find that next month I have a and this is not true we're okay but if I find the next month I have a financial barrier that I can't get over that circumstances have worked in such a way that that I don't know where the money is going to come in to do the things that I know that I'm going to have to do I need to live and trust that God is gonna make a way. Now that doesn't mean I shrink back and just go into my closet and only pray and never like open up Kijiji and see if there's any day jobs available. But that means that in the past when I faced that, I've prayed, I've been open about that, I've made my request known to God and opportunities have fallen in my lap that have provided for me and people that I love financially. Where I have, and so I can tell that story again. I need to live in that story. I need to remind myself of, I, don't, I need to not just tell that as a story of a thing that happened, but oh right, that's the way that God works. And I need to live in that. I need to remember that story and, and, and to remember that God is good and that God provides for us that we need to live in that story. We need to live in the story that when we that when we deal with sickness or when we meet someone who is dealing with sickness, that 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 we go to them with saying, Okay, I can tell you a story of this person who has been healed, so I will now tell the story of this in the past. You're facing back problems, I'm going to pray for you. And I don't know if this is going to work, but I can tell you that my dad used to be bent over and twisted to the side for the better part of a decade. And he was healed and he hasn't really dealt with back problems as much over the last few years. And in fact, yesterday he just helped me put in a shower. So, right, this is the the world in which we live. God is still working and we live in that story. And God commands his people to do this. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He leads off his instructions for his people as he's giving them the Torah. He doesn't say just like, here's the law, listen to it. He says, these commandments I give you today, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and buy them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Make sure that that you live in such a way that people notice the story that you're living and ask you about. This is a challenge for us because we tend to, like everybody else in the world, see problems, get distracted, get insular, get small, get scared, want to be back in Egypt where everything was supposedly wonderful. But we need to live in the story that God is with us now and working now. And the last thing, well, second, well, next thing we need to do is that we need to expect new stories to be written. One of the most dangerous things that I think that we can do with God is to say that God worked this way in the past, therefore God needs to work in this way in the future. I see this all the time in pastoral work, where people say, Well, in 1852, there was a uh, a, a revival that started in southern Wales amongst coal miners, and it started with having a hymn sing outside the coal mine. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a hymn saying outside the coal mine, and that will lead to revival. Why? Why would we assume that? Might not be a bad thing to do, but don't ever expect that God is going to repeat the same story over again. That's not why he gave you the story. If God's going to bring about revival, he's always on to doing new things in new ways. New wine, for, uh, new wine and new wineskins. Expect the story to be told differently. And what's interesting too is we have a tendency that if God has done something in our life and someone comes to us with like, and God worked in my life that way and it doesn't look or feel like what we like it to, then we we diminish it. I've done this in the past. I've had friends that have been like, so I went to... Anybody remember the Toronto Blessing that was a big thing in like the late 90s for a while? Does anybody... Okay, so there was a thing for a while. My parents, were, they, my parents were in with the crazy Pentecostals for a while. Uh, there was a thing that happened in the late '90s at, at a Toronto. People were going to this church in Toronto, and they were having their fillings turned to gold. Right now, I think that that is weird. I'm just going to be honest with you. I think it's weird, but yet, and 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 I, it, I did something terrible. When someone came back to me and was having an said, "I'm having this amazing experience with Jesus. Something weird is going on. I went to this thing and my feelings turned to gold." And I said, "No, they didn't." And I just denied their experience because it didn't fit with what I. It didn't fit with my perspective of how God ought to work. I denied that it existed. That's terrible. I need to repent of that. God is working in someone else's life in a way that is, God doesn't ask me permission for how he's going to work in the world, right? So we ought to expect that God isn't going to ask any of our permission for how he's going to work in the world. So he's going to write new stories and we have to expect new stories to be written. And when someone tells us a story of how God has worked, our job is to not tamp that on the ground and make sure that it fits into our little box that we've got preconceived. Our job is to listen and be encouraged by that. Be restored by that. Be filled by that. Respond to them with encouragement and love. That is our job job if we are going to be people who remember in a way that matters and again I'm repeating the same story we need to tell our story again if there's anything that people are who carry on a tradition they are people who tell stories they're people who hear stories and people who carry them within them if you have got a story of how God has worked in your life tell it you might think, my story is small, my story is silly, my story isn't funny. Tell it. My, sto- I-, I don't know how to do it. It doesn't matter. Tell it. Tell your story because your story matters. And I promise you and guarantee you with every fiber of my being, the Holy Spirit is working people into your life who need to hear your story. It's already happening. So please... Tell your story. Tell it any way you want. It doesn't matter. But if you've got a story of how God has worked in your life, then you need to tell it over and over and over and over again. And this is one of the reasons why I'm glad that this is a part of our tradition that we've retained. Because there is one story that we're told to tell every time that we gather in Scripture. And it's a story that is, that is, that is placed in these symbols of bread and, and cup, grape juice for us, but you know, and it is the story that Jesus gave his life for us while we were yet sinners. And every story of how God has worked in this world flows from that story, flows from that moment at the climax of human history where God put on flesh, moved into the the neighborhood, and intervened for us in his life, and in his death, and in his resurrection. So as we take a moment to prepare to reenact this story as we do Every week, remembering the Lord's death until he comes again, I would like us to take a few moments in silent prayer, remembering the ways that God has worked in our lives to get us here. And to be encouraged to tell that story to ourselves and to others as we go from here. Let's take some moments in silent prayer.